Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Jennifer Herrera is the author of The Hunter. Jennifer is a former philosophy grad student turned literary agent who is fascinated by the stories we tell ourselves to live and the lies we cling to that sabotage our chances at a good family. She grew up in Northwest Ohio and now resides in Philadelphia with her family. Jennifer recently did an event with Anna Reyes at Zibby's Bookshop, and you should check out those pictures on the Zibby's Bookshop Instagram at Zibby's Bookshop for more. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Hunter. Thank you for having me. Of course. I love your tagline, small towns hold big secrets. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Can you please tell listeners what your book is about? 
Absolutely. So the story follows a detective, Lee O'Donnell, who makes a really big mistake. She points her sidearm at a suspect um, and lets him get away. And when she does this, it just destroys her whole life. So her husband leaves her. She loses her job with the NYPD, and she feels like she's completely adrift. And she doesn't even know why she did it. Um, and then she gets this call from her brother in her hometown in, you know, small town, Ohio. Uh, and he says, there are these three suspicious deaths. Can she come and investigate? Now, she gets it in her head that if she does this, then her husband will come back to her. She'll get um, her job back with the NYPD. And this crumbling life that she has will just suddenly reconstitute itself. But of course, you know, it's not so easy. When going home, she has to deal with all of this emotional baggage she's been avoiding for forever. But as it turns out, once she deals with this baggage, she's going to be able to gain insight into the case as well as insight into why she made that really big mistake. Very interesting. <laughs> well, I have to say, I, I had to uh, read to the end to figure out all the different threads and what happened. And I was definitely not expecting what happened. So there you go. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Yeah, nobody has guessed it so far, which yeah. makes me really proud. <laughs> well, I have to say one of the many themes in the book that really resonated with me is as a mom who's divorced and who has to share custody. I feel like having to share her daughter with Eric, her mm. spouse and the difficulty they were going through with the marriage and even like passing her in the lobby and trying to, you know, discuss on the side, all these things like, wait, you're what? You're going on vacation? Like, what's that about? (laughs) (laughs) And even just saying like the way you wrote it too, like, I don't know, something like they were going up and like my family was going up and they couldn't hear me and I was going somewhere else. It just like heartbreaking the way you wrote that. So tell me a little bit more about the, that piece of the puzzle. Oh, I, so I loved this idea of, you know, somebody who loves some you know, her family so passionately, but she has this separation from them. Like they have these different realities and she has to cross that bridge to get to them and she doesn't know how to do it. And I feel like anybody who's been in a relationship feels that way. Like you and your spouse or you and your partner have these different life experiences. And because we don't always have the language to describe why we are the way we are, that means, you know, sometimes you know, your family rides to an elevator to a different plane, one where you can't access them. And you feel like, how do I, how do I get to them? How do I get to them? And that I think is the journey of this book for her. It's like, how does she get to her family? You know, and that felt really real to me because I think, you know, to be in a relationship for a really long time is really, really hard. (laughs) hard. I've been with my husband since I've been 19. You know, we've certainly been through some ups and downs, you know, because it's so hard. I wanted to represent a book that captured not just the lustful stages of a relationship, but the stages where like it could break. And like, if you're not careful, it will break. And maybe it is breaking. And then to ask yourself the question of, you know, do we really want this? And if we do really want this, how do we, how do we mend these gaps? Stephanie, I just uh, did this retreat over the weekend, Mm -hmm. like a fierce woman retreat or whatever. And one of the women at the end was saying something about, oh, well, my husband gave me this great advice. And then she goes like, I have a really good husband. She's like, I've tried to divorce him like three times, but he just won't (laughs) let me. (laughs) And she wasn't really kidding about it either. You know, she's like, you know, he just won't let me leave him. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like you need somebody like that, right? Because at some point, you know, it gets really hard and you have to like, somebody has to come into you. Okay. Like we can do this. Yeah. And it's worth it to do this. And it feels great to do this. 
Well, I don't know. I got divorced, so I can't really speak to that. Well, I mean, with, you know, not with, not with every relationship. No, I know. I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Well, I feel like that doesn't just apply to marriage either. It's like friendships go through all those kinds of twists and turns as well. And like, it's really anything, your relationship with your family. And that's another theme in your book too, with the sibling relationship, which adult sibling relationships are not written about enough. I feel like, I mean, sometimes, right. But this ecosystem of her and her brothers and what it means to go back to the place where you were when you had another identity, right? All of us have our own family of origin identities. And then we like to think we're so different in the world, but then we go back and we're like (laughs) just the same as we were before. And it's really her brothers, like, you know, especially Ronan, whose determination to get her back pays off, right? And the way he entices her and then how he is there with her through the whole narrative and like really wanting her to succeed. And I don't know, it's really neat to see that depiction, particularly sister-brother relationships too. So tell me about deciding to do that. Yeah. It's something I think a lot about too, because I, you know, have a small baby at home um, and I have a three-year-old. So I have siblings, like future siblings, I guess, because right now they're not really aware of each other outside of like, this is the the big one who screams and this is the little one who's yeah. like my toy. <laughs> so, but eventually like, you know, they'll develop a relationship. And I think sibling relationships are so tricky, right? Because you grow up um, and sometimes you're in competition with each other. Sometimes, you know, you feel like they have your back, like they're your whole world. And it, it just goes like to both extremes constantly, but at the same time, like they're your blood and they're always going to be around. And so I really wanted to depict a person who, who has a tricky relationship with her siblings. And it's not because, you know, either of them is like, quote unquote, a bad person. It's just, again, it's like when they were young, they had these gaps in experience where it's like, they saw the world in completely different ways. They were becoming people in their own rights. And they didn't necessarily like check in with the other person, right? Because they were kids. And so it's like, how do you as adults go back and, and revisit those times and to say, oh, you know, this is where it went wrong. And this is how we can we can grow and like have a real adult relationship from this. Because I think, you know, my mom has three brothers, just like Lee's mom in in the hunter. And those three brothers are the closest people in her whole world. And I was always fascinated growing up. It's like, how do you get to that point where your, you know, your brothers are your best friends? And I think that for me, I wanted to show that point as being possible for Lee, that she can get to that point where even if she's been estranged from her family for so long, she can have that closeness. So your mom has three brothers. Do you have brothers? I have a brother and a sister. A brother and a sister. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. I have a brother too. It's really awesome. (laughs) I don't know how to encapsulate that whole relationship in a sentence, but there you go. Okay. So you used to be a literary agent and now Mm -hmm. you are a novelist. Tell me what that transition has been like and what even made you want to write a novel? Yeah. So I'm actually still a literary agent. Oh, you are? Oh, sorry. I know. It's so confusing with my bio, but I am still a literary agent. And I started off working in publishing when I was in grad school. I was in grad school for philosophy in California, in Orange County, and uh, I really hated it. (laughs) I love California. I hated grad school. It just was not, you know, not a place where I really wanted to thrive, I think, or I felt capable of thriving. 
So I I had a professor who was working on a book. He wanted some help with it. I started doing that. Um, somebody asked me to ghostwrite their book, which was fun. And I was like, oh, this is a job. So we moved to New York City. My poor husband, <laughs> I was like picking him up from LAX one day. And I was like, I think we need to move to New York so I can work on publishing. And he said, maybe. <laughs> And I was like, okay, so we're doing it. <laughs> I just started making plans. Hence the marital terrain that we have to navigate. <laughs> I see I see the beginnings of the cracks here, but I'll just Oh like, yes. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> there are many cracks along the way. But I steamrolled my husband into moving to New York. <laughs> dot dot dot. <laughs> uh-huh. And it wasn't the first time I <laughs> I moved us to Missouri. I moved us to California and then I moved us to New York. So the poor man, the poor man, but he's still here. (laughs) (laughs) So we get to New York. I start working in publishing and I just really love it. I found that a lot of my curiosity that I had about ideas that really drew me to to grad school in the first place could be exercised in publishing. I work in mostly nonfiction. So I get to explore ideas that I've never heard about before or things that I want to know about, things that I think, you know, my mom would want to read about or my dad would want to read about or like my friends would. And so I do all of that nonfiction stuff and it's really exciting. But I still had, you know, this creative side of me that really wanted to do something else. And for me, I think a crime novel felt like the really natural extension of that because I've always loved crime books. I think that you know, there's something very comforting about, you know, you start off with this like ghastly murder and then a plucky detective arrives on the scene and you you get this, this clean resolution that gives you this very like real psychological benefit of feeling as though the world is under control again. All is right. And for me though, I felt like a lot of the detective novels I read really centered this very masculine world where you had either a male detective or you had a female detective who felt very male. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to do was to create a detective who felt very female to me. And I had just started writing this um, right after I had my first child. And I was very aware of the, you know, the things about me that were very, very female and that were very, very powerful. And one of those being like this very deep intuition, you know, like, you know, when something's wrong with your kid, even if they're not showing any symptoms, like they don't have a fever, they don't have any of the, like the signs, you're like, something is wrong. And you're right. Like almost always you're right. And so I wanted to create a detective who has that same intuitive sense of the world, that very female sense of the world. And I wanted to have her use that as a way to solve crimes. And interestingly, and by the way, I often think there's something wrong with my kid. Unless you, let's just say a caveat, (laughs) if you have like immense anxiety and you think that every little thing is something worth calling the doctor about, maybe you don't always know. (laughs) But one of the things you did that's really interesting too is in most crime novels, the victims are women. Mm-hmm. I read like a Q&A that you did about how, you know, muscle mass and there's a reason why but women are perceived as easier to kill and blah, 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 can't fight back, whatever. But you here have three men who are dead and the crime is to figure out who killed them by a woman. So talk about like flipping that gender stereotype a little bit. That has been one of the fun pieces of writing this book. Because I think, you know, when I sat down to write a crime novel, right, I had this idea that I wanted to create this very intuitive, you know, detective who's very female. And then I closed my eyes and I thought, who should die? And I immediately pictured like this young, beautiful woman. 
And I thought, uh, like, why did I do that? And so I really went back and I started reading, you know, are women more likely to die from homicide than men? And it turns out they're not. Um, Men are the victims in 80% of the homicides. And yet from my, you know, admittedly very imperfect analysis of, of the top selling crime books, you know, women are the victims or three times the rate of male victims. And so the question becomes, you know, why do we do this? And there are lots of reasons we can give to that question. I don't necessarily have the answer, but I knew that I wanted to correct that in the book that I was writing. So I wanted to have, you know, the victims be male, to be able-bodied, to be, you know, very sort of strapping and strong and young. So the question becomes, how could somebody kill like three big dudes? And I thought that that really created this deep sense of tension because it feels like an impossible act. And yet, someone did it. Interesting. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I love it. Wait, can you go back for two seconds? When you're a literary agent for nonfiction, what are some mm-hmm. of the books you've worked in? Oh, uh, some really exciting ones. I did a book that came out this past summer called What Doesn't Kill Us Makes Us. Mm. So that's a book about how we change in the wake of catastrophic events where we have a before and an after so that the person we used to be is no longer you know, the person that we later become. I think that has been really exciting. The writer wrote for The New Yorker, for The Atlantic, Vanity Fair, a really skilled writer. I also represent, her name is Gail Jessup White. She is related to both Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, and she works at Jefferson's Monticello. And her book is about trying to gain legitimacy for both sides of her life, both sides of her lineage, and how she was able to use that to help bring Sally Hemings' story more into the light. So things like that, like a lot of books that I have a bunch of ones that are upcoming, but books that tackle these really big ideas about identity, I think are really fascinating, especially as we, you know, we're trying to make sense of ourselves, like as a culture, as a world. 
getting a little concerned about all the murder in your in your <laughs> in your fiction, the things you're acquiring. I don't know. <laughs> I just like take a couple steps back. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> I think you know. I've heard writers of detective fiction say that they are the calmest, chillest people because it's like they've exercised all their demons on the page. Okay. All right. Like they have no, you know, they have no baggage with the world. I love that. Are you the type of person who's always looking for like the understory? Because I've not the understory, that's not mm. even a real word, but I don't know, to be a detective and to be always searching for other answers and like really reading people and figuring yeah. out things that other people aren't seeing. And of course you need to do a little of that to write a novel to begin with. Like, you know, where do you think that comes from? I think it's part of, you know, part of my personality first off. I think I'm always very fascinated with who people are underneath. You know, I think I had read somewhere that, you know, we have three ways of experiencing the world, our actual experiences, how we describe those experiences to other people, and then like the story we tell ourselves. And so, you know, each of these things we think would line up with the thing itself, but it doesn't always. And so for me, I think that, you know, one of the things I'm really interested in is figuring out why people do the the things that we do, not just other people, but myself. You know, sometimes you, you know, you yell at your spouse or your kid or something. And you're like, what was that really about? And I think we're part of this very, you know, this therapy generation who we've all been taught to see the world in terms of who we used to be and to be on nodding terms with that person. And so as a result of that, that way of thinking, then it means that we always have those layers to our experience. And maybe that's generational. Maybe, you know, two generations from now, nobody will go to therapy anymore. And they, you know, they will have a different way of seeing the world. But right now, I think, you know, we're in this moment where we're always trying to uncover past versions of ourselves to figure out who we are now and who we want to be in the future. It's a great answer. <laughs> Amazing. So, Tell me how you get stuff done with two little kids at home and you wrote this book and now you're doing all the publicity. Are you writing another book? How are you getting, like, how is, how is life happening for you? Oh my God, that's an amazing question. I don't know in a constant <laughs> state of panic, I think. <laughs> a constant state of panic. You know, I have a full-time job. I have, you know, these two little kids who are amazing and so much fun and just ridiculous in all the ways that little kids are ridiculous. And I have a house that I guess has to get cleaned once in a while or something. <laughs> but for me, I think that I am so much better at every other aspect of my life if I can take some time during my day to write and to be inside my own head for a little bit. You know, I think there are a lot of people who do yoga or meditation, and I would love to be one of those people. I'm I'm just not. This is what I do to take care of myself. And I am working on another book, and it is under contract um, with my publisher. So the protagonist of this book, Lee O'Donnell, will get another installment. And that has been really fun to write as well, because when I worked on the first book, I didn't know there would be a second one. In fact, I hadn't even planned on it. I thought here is here is the the most important part of her story, the singular moment where, you know, once she gets through this really tough time, then she's not going to have any hard times for the rest of her life. Like that was the, you know, yep. the story I had told myself about my character. But then I started thinking more about how women's stories work. 
you know, and women's stories, I think, work in in cycles a lot of times. Like, you know, our bodies work in cycles. Our our way of seeing, our way of growing is like a cycle for, you know, for growing into ourselves, for being a mother, for being in, you know, <clears throat> beyond that. And so I wanted to create another cycle for Lee's story. So, okay, so now she's healed this one thing about herself. What's the next way in which she has to grow? And that being the impetus for the next story and for this next crime that she gets to uncover. There's a dead body, I will say. Oh my gosh. At least one. Are, are we going to stay in Ohio or go back to, no, New York, anywhere? We are going to go to Pennsylvania, actually. Oh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've been really having a great time. So I live in Philadelphia right now and I've been having a really fun time researching history in Philadelphia. Yes. But in, in um, different parts of Pennsylvania, because I'm from Ohio originally too. So Pennsylvania has always felt like very close to me, you know, researching for instance, like slate mining in Pennsylvania has been really fun. And there are a lot of like geographical features that you can really bring into a story if you're, you know, looking at a new place. Wow. My mom's family is from Ohio, by the way. They're from Dayton. Oh, where are they at in Ohio? From Dayton. Oh, that's amazing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I've like watched the poor city like go from being so glamorous. Well, at least maybe it's because I was a kid, but anyway. And then now <laughs> it's it's just sad to see cities waning, you know? Yeah. Better. It's it's been hard. But what part of Ohio are you from? Yeah, no, I mean the same the same sort of situation. So uh my parents are from Cleveland. Okay. And I think for them, you know, their families came through a chain migration through, you know, working in the car factories. So one person would get a job at a car factory and then would bring over the rest of their family. And so they were really entrenched in that world. And then, you know, the factories haven't maybe been employing people at the same rates as they used to. And so it has been a very declining city. And so my parents, when I was young, moved to a small town in rural Ohio, which has a different sort of decline. So it's not you know, it has similarities to the town Copper Falls in my book, but there are a lot of ways in which it's different. And one of those is that the town I grew up in is a very farm-centric town. And that I think has been interesting in a different way because it's a bunch of family farms and they've been they've been fighting corporations coming in and wanting to turn their family farms into like a, a giant dairy farm and all of the ways in which that destroys the legacy. And you see these people really like hanging on to this, to this old world. And you have to, you have to like respect that. You have to respect the ways in which they want to keep things small and keep things, you know, family and keep things private. Interesting. My brother produced this movie like maybe 10 years ago with Dennis Quaid and Zac Efron. If you need a movie, you should watch it. But it's about family farms and what happens when someone comes in. Oh, that's fantastic. If you need a dose of home and you want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Because, you know, when I first started writing this in Ohio, I thought, oh, maybe I should incorporate farming. And I was like, I know nothing about farming. <laughs> you know, my parents were like city slickers who moved to the small town. I was like, I, I can tell you that like people you know, road tractors to schools and like what kind of jeans people wore. But outside of that, like, I don't have any information here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that's the great thing about writing novels. You can choose to learn about anything you want or any books, really. Yes, like, exactly. Dive deep into that. And what are you reading now? 
Oh, so, you know, this is one of those questions where, because I work in publishing, it's such a big part of my job to read, you know, the bestsellers list constantly to, to ask myself the question of like, why are people, you know, why are people reading this book? What are people expecting out of the future books that they're going to read? And how can I sell books into that marketplace? So that's like my work brain, but I also have like my fun brain. And so my (laughs) fun brain uh, gets really excited about reading books that aren't new because it means that I don't, like I can turn off that piece of myself that's constantly working. And so in this case, I'm rereading a book that I've read many times, but that I feel still feel like I'm gaining insight from. And that's this older book, Women Who Run With the Wolves. Ooh. And that is just a book cool. about women's stories and how they're different maybe from men's stories and how you know, we've all been taught, or at least I was taught, that you have this thing called the hero's journey. And that is you know, representative of everybody's story. That's how we think about the world. That's how we experience it. But, you know, she really breaks down the different structures of stories that exist. And especially for women, what each of those story structures does for us at different places in our lives. So that I think has been really exciting for me to just go back to that and to keep mining it for information. Got the wolves, you've got the hunter. (laughs) I mean, you know, (laughs) there's definitely something primal about all these things. The murders. (laughs) Yeah, there is. And I think that that is really exciting. Like, how do you tap into that primal piece of yourself? Because I don't know about you, but for me, it's like my life is so removed from any of that. And I want to know, like, would I feel more connected or would I feel you know, more enlightened if I were able to access that part of me that everybody has, but that we've been taught to suppress in order to be a part of a, you know, of a world. Or maybe it's because that primal piece of you has actually come up so much more after having kids. Oh, you know, I think that's probably true. So one of the things that the protagonist Lee has that she has a very heightened sense of smell. Mm -hmm. She can smell sweat. Like that's crazy. (laughs) Like, what does sweat even smell like? Oh my God. <laughs> but like, you know, when I was pregnant, like I could smell sweat. Like it's really not, like, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and so that's how it felt for me. Like giving her this very, this very strong sense of smell felt very primal to me. And it felt very connected to the parts of my life when I associated most closely with being a woman. And so like being pregnant and being, you know, breastfeeding and having, you know, that just like that intensity of emotion and that, you know, that strong sense of smell. Love it. Any parting advice for aspiring authors? Parting advice for aspiring authors. You know, one of the things that I think that I learned, because I've wanted to be a writer for much longer than I've been a writer, and it took a very long time for my tastes to line up with my skills or my skills to line up with my tastes, I guess. And I think that the, you know, the most important advice I can give anybody is just to be really patient and to just like fall in love with the thing that you do so that you're less tied to what the outcome is. And if you can be really patient with yourself and you can, you know, treat each thing that you write as a way for you to grow, 
not just as a way for your reader to, you know, something for your reader to enjoy, then you're never going to feel like you wasted your time, regardless of the outcome. And eventually people will connect to the thing that you say about your life, about other people's lives that's true. Like just write something that's true and, and people will find it. Love it. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. Um, I'm so excited you're doing an event at Zibby's Bookshop. And I'm sorry I won't be there myself. And by the time this airs, it will have happened. So people can just go look at pictures of you at the store or whatever. (laughs) But really excited. And thanks for drawing on this sort of primal fierce energy we all all, kind of have under there. So, you know, thanks. (laughs) Thank you. This has been so much fun. Oh, good. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.